0: And, and thanks so much for joining us today, Joshua. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, we literally picked Joshua up at the airport at two in the morning here in Los my Angeles. my pleasure to be here, Amber. He's just passing through town. You're on your way to another conference uh, symposium.
1: hmm At UMass Amherst. Yeah. And then
0: you were in Mexico, and now you're planning on being on the road for four months, all working to really protect these psychoactive plants and, and make sure that we handle them appropriately as they spread into the mainstream level.
1: Mm -hmm. That's right.
0: And can you you tell us a little bit about the organization you started?
1: Yeah, it's called the Ethnobotanical Stewardship Council. And we work to transform lives by assuring the sustainability and safe use of traditional plants. So that's transforming the lives of the people who work with the plants, who grow them, uh, offering them fair wages, um, and transforming the lives of people who who use the plants? Who may consume them? Um, and safety and security are, or safety and um, sustainability are important when we're talking about traditional Amazonian plants. Where you may be going to the jungle, and there may be physical safety concerns or inappropriate cultural interactions that um, need to be clearly defined on both sides. So we're engaging in dialogue around. These traditional plants and our flagship project is the ayahuasca dialogues um, looking at the safety and sustainability of centers themselves as well as mm-hmm. the cultivation or the wild collection of the plants and
0: for people out there listening uh, who don't know what ayahuasca is for me i say it's this amazing brew you can find in the jungle that allows you to step outside of your body Reevaluate your life. Some people consider it to be thirty years of therapy in a night. Other people say it's cured their depression, anxiety. Some people say it's just given them one hell of a scary night. Other people say they believe it's a way of nature really fighting back, and some people think it's actually a communication tool to communicate with God or a higher source. In in your opinion, based on all your experience with ayahuasca, w- what is it?
1: Well, I'm fairly new to ayahuasca. I waited 10 years or more to try ayahuasca in a traditional context because I think that's important. It has centuries of history, and it's used in a ceremonial context with a curandero or a shaman who holds the space because there's a lot of... It it connects you with different dimensions or different different modes of thinking and those can be dangerous or scary so you need a good guide and it's a combination of a vine which is known as ayahuasca or yahay with uh, a number of admixture plants mainly chacruna which is a bush so how the native peoples of the amazon discovered among the tens of thousands of vines and tens of thousands of bushes that you should combine these two plants and it will lead you to these spiritual um, other dimensions is, is amazing in itself. And I mean, the it's fact like that the medicine is, is calling to people now and it has something to offer to the modern world, it connects people with nature, it connects people with their bodies and with, with their thoughts, with their memories, um, and it allows people to process in a new way. So I think it's a very important medicine worth protecting and enhancing.
0: For sure. I I think that so many of us are carrying trauma or just stuck in this box of a perspective of life. And what ayahuasca did for me personally when I was suffering from symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder is it allowed me to just purge that dark energy and deal Mm -hmm. with these traumas and actually get into my mind and access memories that I forgot I even had of traumatic symptoms that were causing me to always be in kind of a fight or flight response mode. And mm-hmm. uh, and the ayahuasca just magically helped me get rid of those within almost a night, mm-hmm. which is I woke up the next morning thinking, okay, as a journalist, <laughs> this is the only thing I want to cover for the rest of my life because this brew is so amazing. Why doesn't everybody know about this? I I just think we have so much healing to do as a society on an individual level before we're ever going to get in. And change anything on a massive scale, and and it's really empowering because now we know we can use ayahuasca and other substances and, and treatments to really heal ourselves, mm-hmm. and and that's, that's really empowering to know you have that control, and I think Western medicine has taken that control from some people. They think, oh, you, you must go to a doctor, or you must take this prescription medication that might not necessarily cure you and it leaves a lot of people feeling hopeless so Mm -hmm. I think these medicines give me a lot of hope as well as you and I really appreciate you working and devoting your life now to to trying to protect them
1: yeah I'm out of the closet so to speak about this Um, I I, and not everyone has a visual experience when they take ayahuasca it it is a physical purge it's not a party drug it's it can be scary it can be uncomfortable you reconnect with your body and in amazing and sometimes uncomfortable ways and there's vomiting and diarrhea and so people should be prepared <laughs> yeah i remember
0: thinking that when i went down to my center we're sitting around this ceremony house that looked like a yurt and there's just these yoga mats and next to them are these buckets and i i hadn't read a ton about ayahuasca before i went because i just had a calling to go down to the amazon and try it i was told you know my heart was just telling me it would help me and i remember thinking okay why are there three toilets in the bathroom and <laughs> all of these buckets everywhere? <laughs> and then within 20 minutes of everyone going up and drinking, you just heard the most violent vomiting and people running to the bathroom and
1: um, but it's cathartic. yeah other people's vomiting is is a sort of purge for the collective for the group. That's but
0: what uh, some of the shamans called it getting well because you're actually pulling out your toxins mm-hmm. and and all this negative energy and that's your way your body's kind of yeah just getting rid of the then, crap, like, literally. Like
1: nails or snakes or other things feel like they're coming out, this psychic energy that's built up.
0: I get hundreds, and I'm not kidding when I say hundreds, of emails, and this is one reason I really wanted to do this show with you today. I have so many people write me, and they say that they're depressed or anxious, or they just want to change in life, and they want to go down and try ayahuasca. And they always ask me, The one question that I think so many experts in this field will never answer, it's the forbidden answer, is is for recommendations for centers. Mm -hmm. And as a journalist, I don't recommend centers because I need to remain impartial. Uh, But
1: I'm in the same boat because the ESC is embarking on this dialogue that will take a year and a half or two years to build consensus on what safety and sustainability means. So I can't pick favorites or anything. Um, We're engaging with... Tribal governance systems and owners of sites and tourism agencies in Peru and Colombia and Ecuador and Brazil, the places in South America where ayahuasca is recognized as national patrimony or it's uh, enshrined legally in some way, it's protected.
0: So we we can't recommend specific centers, just so you know. Mm, Right. But we are holding this podcast today so that we can give you some advice on when you're choosing a center, so that you can make the most informed decision. And what are some ways, Joshua, that you think someone sitting in their living room in Ohio, (laughs) who's never been to South America, how can they use the internet to find uh, a reliable ayahuasca center, or is it possible? I mean, I ended up finding a center when I went uh, on the Internet, but there weren't many reviews, and and I ended up finding out that the uh, shaman who ran the center had some allegations against him. There was just a lot of shady stuff going on. I know there's some shady characters as well as amazing characters in this field, but what Mm -hmm. advice do you give to someone who's sitting in their living room planning this life-changing adventure on on how to pick a center?
1: There's a lot of information on the Internet in bulletin boards or forums, or there are ayahuasca rating sites popping up. There's one called iAdvisor and a few others that I've heard about. So it's like TripAdvisor, but for ayahuasca? Mm-hmm. And the ESC within uh, a year and a half or two years will have this form of self-regulation where sites can participate in the, co- the consensus building around the ayahuasca dialogues we're calling it the ayahuasca agreement and then can align themselves to the agreement and there will be mechanisms for making sure that they are aligning properly they are safe they are sustainable the communities are benefiting Um, but in the meantime I think asking friends uh, looking on the internet there is um, Alan Shoemaker in Iquitos has a Facebook page where he posts um, negative, uh if people have bad experiences, if they file a legal complaint against someone, like something serious.
0: Oh, so if they file so a legal complaint in then, Peru...
1: Then he'll put it on his website.
0: Oh, that's awesome, <clears throat> because I mm-hmm. think that so many people... I mean, how do you know? If someone has complaints against, the, against them with the Peruvian police, mm-hmm. how are you supposed to know that yeah. in your Midwestern living room?
1: Right. And, and then there's like inappropriate... Like maybe as... As foreigners or as Westerners, we have different conceptions of what appropriate touching may be. But in traditional contexts, there's all sorts of touching. There's sucking out of negative energies that may be construed as some sort of molestation or something. But there are allegations of rape and um, serious concerns. So we're creating a space for people to step into the light of accountability voluntarily. Uh, the ESC won't actively, you know, say this person is not good. We'll just allow those that want to be um, scrutinized or or come into the community to have um, to have this space. So I think, but when you're looking for a site, it's important that there are like like sitters. There are people that are not drinking ayahuasca who can help you walk to the bathroom or make sure you don't walk off into the jungle Um, the sites should have some sort of a first aid kit or because you can't you can't dial 911 in the jungle
0: and that occurred to me many times. Yeah, <laughs> and I thought I was going to die on the ayahuasca, even though... You, you feel this, like you're yeah. dead. Yeah. I
1: mean, it's called the vine of the soul for a reason. It takes you into, sort of past the grave in a, in a way.
0: I, I had that happen in one experience. I just, it was telling me, you're dying, you're dying. And I remember thinking, okay, has anyone died before after taking ayahuasca? And mm-hmm. I just realized I was so far away from any sort of medical help that I just, at that point, I just laid back and I was like, okay take me mm-hmm. and, and my soul came out of my body and I was able to experience what what it would, it would experience uh, what it would be like to die
1: it feels that way yeah we have no way of knowing ultimately but it does feel that way and so whether it's a first aid kit in a little white box or it's traditional knowledge of which plants will cure will fight snake bite or um, if you cut yourself you can use like Sangre de Grado, dragon's blood to seal the wound, and it's an antiseptic. and There's all sorts of traditional knowledge. So those are some of the things that I would look for.
0: So these medicines aren't to be used lightly. Just take them, and then the next day just get around your business. You really need to focus on integration. Can you explain to people what integration is and how they can most effectively integrate the insights they're given on these medicines?
1: Yeah, integration is a really important component of finding a good site to take ayahuasca or um, iboga or, or other sacred medicines. Um, It's sort of like group therapy when it's done best. People will often talk about their intentions before going into a ceremony and then talk about their insights afterward and have a chance to connect with people from their own culture or from trained professionals who can help integrate and and provide meaning to the things that they learn and how to integrate that into their lives. Uh, I
0: I went to a center once where they didn't do any integration. Mm -hmm. I remember we were sitting at the breakfast table and people would come in with just these hollow looking faces trying to, you know, they, they didn't know what they had seen the night before. Some were freaked out. Some had had Mm -hmm. profound experiences. They just wanted to discuss it, but there were no therapists or, or anyone there to really help people make sense of the experience. So You're saying to really look for centers that that do advertise, that they actually help with the therapeutic side.
1: I think that's important. In a traditional context, you'd be living in the same village. You wouldn't come with all the baggage that we modern people bring to the jungle. Um, So we're really aliens coming from a different world, and it's important to have the traditional context, but also to have people who are willing to to share and, and help with experiences.
0: And another thing that's really important too, when you use these medicines is set and setting and mm. set is your mindset, your intention. Yeah. Uh, I, I've noticed when I go in with a, a set intention, I'm given the answer to that intention. I mm-hmm. always try to ask the psychedelic, whether it be mushrooms or ayahuasca for specific healing or, or a specific uh, something I'm desiring to learn more about. Mm-hmm. And I'm given that. Uh, as well as setting is so important, what do you think, based on your psychedelic experience, is a good setting? for Say someone's doing, they're not traveling down to the jungle, they're just doing the psychedelic at home. What What would you recommend?
1: First, I would recommend Jim Fadiman's book, The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide. The first two chapters of that are about set and setting, and those are available on his website for, for free. Um, I would recommend comfort for a setting because you often can't move you'll you'll be in the same space or in the same room or in the same part of the woods for for several hours so you better feel safe there and then your set your your mindset should be clear you have like you said a clear focus a clear intention um you may want to think about people you have wronged and apologize to them. Think about your loved ones. Think about the important things in your life. Clear out any of the psychic garbage that could come back to in, in, a, in a more manifest form and be scary and focus on the, the positive things or the things you need to work through.
0: And how important do you think it is to have a sitter or someone who's just near you to make sure everything's going well, maybe to give you water or, or just kind of babysit you?
1: I think that's really important. Um, yeah, Disconnect the phone, but if the phone rings or someone knocks on the door, you need a friend that can answer it and keep you contained in your space. Or in the jungle, someone that can lead you to the bathroom or keep you safe.
0: Do you think that people should go down, sh- should bring a friend if they go to do an ayahuasca ceremony in the jungle? Is it something that's necessary? Or you know, if you want to be super safe, you should do it? what would you say to someone who, who's considering going?
1: Ideally, if yeah, if you're going to a site that you don't have strong recommendations from people you trust, you should take someone you know or make friends with people. Um, it, it's yeah, best to take a friend, an old friend. Um,
0: That's what I did when I was down there. They were going to put me in my own house in the secluded area of the jungle, completely alone. And when the lady said that, I happened to be next to three guys who were on the plane with me and they were all being put in a house together. There were four beds in the house. So I said, I'm sorry, guys, <laughs> please tell your girlfriends and wives, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I'm going to have to stay in the house with you because there's no way in hell I'm staying out in the jungle completely alone. And I, I just forced my way into their house, which really, I think, protected me in that situation. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I recommend too, especially for females... Like you say, if you're, if you're not familiar with the center, bring a friend with you and maybe take turns drinking until you know you can trust the center and the mm-hmm. shaman, and make sure to stay in the same house together so you, there's accountability. You know where one another are.
1: Yeah, that's really good advice.
0: And what are some other qualities of, of good centers, the ones that you've seen that are just exemplary, that you guys want to really prop up with the uh, Ethnobotanical uh, Stewardship Council?
1: The best sites offer something back to the local communities. A lot of these communities are um, either indigenous groups that have been under the boot of the conquistadors for 500 years in the church and are disempowered, or they're mestizo communities that have moved from the city or elsewhere, and they may be slashing and burning the forest. So the best sites offer access to the to this traditional health system as well as good paying jobs as well as like permaculture and new ways of agriculture that works with the forest instead of cutting it down the best sites know where the ayahuasca they use came from it may be the the curandero has a little plot of land in his village or her village and the, you know the family and the, the villagers are harvesting it sustainably the worst is harvesting, walking days out into the Amazon and cutting down old trees to access the vines. But the nice thing about these these plants is they grow within the ecosystems. They preserve. You can't have a vine without a tree for it to grow up. So we're looking at um, eventually having carbon offsetting. Uh, you could pay for your carbon when you travel down to South America and It'll go to replanting ayahuasca and other trees and and things around the sites. Um, so. um,
0: And what are some warning signs? I know it may be too late by the time they get off the two-hour boat ride in the Amazon to the ayahuasca center. But what would be some warning signs that maybe, okay, maybe the next morning you should pack your bags and and go try to find a a more legitimate shaman or or retreat center?
1: Well... Something that I didn't expect was all the talk about brujeria or witchcraft. Like friends have said, well, I I felt like the next day I had to give money to this shaman, or I was walking down the road and I had the urge to to turn back, or I felt that I was disempowered in some way. The medicine can be used to, to cure, or it can be used to control, and there is a huge long history of fighting between tribes, between groups. And the best curandero was one that would protect the village, would attack the other shamans. And there are these birotes, these darts, psychic darts, that can be launched and implanted in people. And, I mean, this comes from like a, a French friend who's, you know, complete rationalist, who says, how are you going to account for brujeria in, in the ESC? All and it's not something do. that you can easily measure.
0: Have you read but. Peter Gorman's book Ayahuasca in My Blood? No, it, it covers all of that, and it it really takes ayahuasca to another level because I've I've witnessed it on the healing level, um, and and that also covers. If anyone's interested in reading that book, it's a great book to cover this topic on how. It is used as almost uh, black magic in some ways mm-hmm. and, and so that's another reason when when I read that book as well, I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I just went down and used any shaman,
1: <laughs> yeah because
0: they could really like you're saying they could use the medicine for good or they can use it for for not appropriate reasons and yeah,
1: so people should know what they're getting into i mean there's there's no way to be completely prepared, but the medicine opens doors that you thought were the, the the, you know, fairy tales, the world of fairy tales.
0: But and I think we're getting into, too, uh, a conversation of really how sacred and amazingly powerful ayahuasca is, and it's not something to just be taken out of your home refrigerator, <laughs> you know, or right. brewed up like farm ayahuasca. I saw that online. How popular is that, that people are actually home-brewing ayahuasca or ordering it chemically off the internet?
1: I'm not sure, but... Um, when I was in Mexico, we were discussing with some re- researchers from Canada and Europe of doing a, a survey of the community, which is especially important because the International Narcotics Control Board, the INCB, the, the UN's quasi-judicial body that looks for drugs of abuse has said in their recent report that governments should be on the lookout for ayahuasca, that it's a drug of abuse. And that's patently false. It's it's something that I would say the vast majority of people are seeking out for legitimate health reasons to heal themselves. But we won't know until we have this data. But there's a big INCB meeting in 2016 in New York, and we're preparing to go to them with evidence of some sense of what, what people that are taking ayahuasca are looking for. We're also hoping to have then by then the ayahuasca agreement with sites that are cert- certified or assured to that agreement as a form of of gov- self-governance, and protecting and people. you're
0: talking about the healing side of ayahuasca. I've interviewed people, soldiers who've used it to cure PTSD. People have used it for depression, anxiety. Uh, one study mm-hmm. of long-term ayahuasca users in Brazil at the Santo Daime Church found that long-term users had higher levels of serotonin in their brain. So it's pretty profound. Results for people taking this on a continual basis and Mm -hmm. really even for me as a journalist makes me want to look into this even more Considering how much our nation and the world is facing just a giant mental health crisis And and I see why it's so important to protect ayahuasca because all of a sudden you have this jungle plant That's now becoming mainstream Mm -hmm. and so many people who are desperate for healing are wanting access to ayahuasca how is it that we protect this plant and keep it from going extinct. Is ayahuasca endangered at this point?
1: I would say the genetic diversity of ayahuasca may be endangered, but there's enough market incentives for people to be planting ayahuasca that it's not in danger of going extinct. It's it's national patrimony in Peru. Uh, the churches in Brazil, the Santo Daime, the Unión de Vegetal, and others have legal rights and the churches we're we're looking to learn a lot from the churches they have in order to set up a new new branch of a church you need to ensure that you have supply of ayahuasca and it takes several years to grow and harvest um we're looking at maybe doing some studies of the the diversity there are different colors of ayahuasca with different experiences and even beyond the botanical binomial names there are different characteristics of of the vine that native peoples can see Wade Davis has talked a lot about this I experienced black ayahuasca and it was much stronger came on really fast it kind of crept up through my <laughs> cerebral cortex and Can you I'd...
0: describe for us what what happened? It's 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 hard to put an ayahuasca experience into words because it's very much like a dream mm-hmm. when you come out of it you're like how how the hell do I explain that to anybody? But, yeah, uh, but it's kind of happened? like
1: it's kind of like origami in a way. We are here in three dimensional or four dimensional space, if you add time, but physics says that there are multiple dimensions sort of tucked in with our within these dimensions that we see, and ayahuasca, in a way opens those up and, and it feels almost like you're passing through doorways, like between life and death into these other soul dimensions or mental dimensions or um, beyond space and time. So the black ayahuasca just um, it was much more visual and much stronger. It it came on suddenly like a kaleidoscope within 20 minutes of drinking it. Whereas the I I had uh, experienced cielo or yellow ayahuasca before which came on maybe after an hour
0: and so you started seeing a kaleidoscope of shapes, and then what happened next?
1: Well, um, the man who gave it to me s- gave me the cup and said, are you sensitive to the medicine? And I said, I don't really know. This is only my fourth time drinking ayahuasca. And I I, I think my ego kind of said, okay, you need to protect yourself um, because... The, the man that gave it to me said he liked to see people's egos sort of pop out of their heads. Oh, um, no. and I,
0: that's never what you want to hear after <laughs> drinking is no. of active.
1: In the jungle on a dirty mat that's uh, in a maloca. Um So I saw like um, sort of psychedelic colored, like rainbow colored cobras or snakes like if you've ever seen those videos of the defanged cobras like hitting a baby striking a baby on the head in india that's sort of what it felt like and it felt like it was sort of penetrating my ego but i had purged before that i think that was part of my ego response um but then i drank another cup and i got to a deeper level like a a cleaning level and relaxed into the space I mean, the main thing I think is to not, not freak out. Just know that you'll be fine. There are some contraindications if you're taking SRI drugs, you should be off them. If you have serious heart conditions, you should get checked out before you drink ayahuasca. If you're a schizoid personality type, there may be a chance of getting stuck in a more schizophrenic or shamanic sort of worldview. So there, and there are a number of other. Drugs, you can find lists on the internet. Yeah, I think that's key
0: to let people know is you you cannot be taking antidepressants Mm -hmm. when you go down. Ayahuasca just does not like them, which is interesting Um, in itself uh, because it's almost like the ayahuasca is forcing you to get off the prescription drugs. Then I'll heal you and you won't need them anymore. Yeah, deal with reality. Yeah, exactly. It's just fascinating to Mm -hmm. me that that's like the one thing you cannot be taking when you take ayahuasca is antidepressants.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. It's fascinating.
0: And so, what was the rest of your experience like that night when you drank the black ayahuasca?
1: Um, it lasted a lot longer. I walked back to my my little hut, and I I felt like nature was alive. It was raining, and there were hummingbirds out, and lots of other things crawling in the grass and in the bushes. Um, the the curandero did a little limpieza or cleaning and um talked about sort of what he saw the sort of guardians or the people the the spirits sort of protecting me i don't i didn't see them i have to take it on faith (laughs) he's the expert yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) so what made you decide to devote your life to protecting these plants
1: well i had had um, some really profound experiences with um, mushrooms when I was in college. I, my friends and I had read Terrence McKenna and we, we thought, well, the, the right dose is the, the five dried grams in silent darkness. And we, we did that. That was our first psychedelic experience and it just strips away all of your ontological categories, your whole conception of reality. And then you're you're left with, what what do I believe? I, this whole societal construct, I, it's false in a way, yet it's real. I have to engage with it, and I went through a number of years of grappling with that. Um, but I knew that I would. I wanted to integrate these plants into my my life and my career. I've been an herbalist for many years. I've benefited from. Plants that boost the immune system or kava with anxiety. And um, I went to uh, psychedemia at uh, UPenn in 2010. And I figured, well, if an Ivy League medical school is funding a, a psychedelic conference, then this is the right time to be investigating this again. It's becoming legitimate again or has the possibility of a legitimate dialogue. And people like Steve Bayer um, was talking about uh, the need for safety protocols in the jungle. And Dennis McKenna was talking about the sustainability of ayahuasca. And I just started <clears throat> talking with people. I um, went to the the MAPS conference, uh, I think it was last year in, in Oakland, And there were 200 people in a room talking about ayahuasca and all the the issues around it and just started dialoguing with people. And I come from a a background, a professional background of working with sustainability standards like organic and fair trade, the Forest Stewardship Council, Marine Stewardship Council, Roundtable on Sustainable Palm Oil, cotton, sugar, uh, sustainable tourism. I help these standards um, design... A set standards in a, in a credible way, in a multi-stakeholder way. They engage with all the people who are involved in production or sales of, of different agricultural commodities, et cetera. And it just made sense to combine that professional knowledge with these sacred plants. So we're, we're following the professional path of ethnobotany, like Richard Evans Schultes. He started uh, with the psychoactive plants because... Those were the easiest to prove. When the natives say, take this and you'll see neon snakes, well, if, you have, <laughs> if you're brave enough to try the ayahuasca, you will most likely see some form of snake. Uh, I don't know why. There's, there's something about the medicine.
0: Got my uh, ayahuasca snake ring. <laughs> <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I know I've gone all the way in when my jewelry starts becoming sacred geometry yeah. and, and ayahuasca snakes. There's no turning back. I know. People are like, what has happened to her? No. It's all, it's all good. I say that uh, psychedelics have definitely turned my life right side up. And really, I mean, you're talking about these professional conferences going on at <clears throat> Ivy League universities. The science is there. I mean... It is. Anyone can head to our website, reset.me or maps.org and, and you just check out these... Uh, all the research since the 1950s and even earlier that really proves uh, how effective a lot of these natural medicines are especially when it comes to treating and healing depression and anxiety and so many people out there just feel hopeless they just they've tried every other therapy i I spoke to a woman earlier today who had ptsd for more than 20 years she tried everything and nothing could cure it and then she did one mdma session Six hours later, she feels 80% better, like she can actually live. I mean, she was borderline suicidal. So it's so profound. It just makes you keep going each day. And that's why we do this podcast and also Reset.me and really Mm -hmm. just to let people know that there is hope out there. Mm -hmm. And I, I think something I've always had in my mind as a journalist is like, how much attention should I be raising toward these plants? I mean, how much of a supply is there are they growing too fast? You know, am I helping or am I contributing to a problem? And that's a concern of mine as well. Especially Mm. if you look at, you were telling me about Ibogaine, which is being used to really effectively, sometimes 90% cure rate uh, with heroin addiction and opioid addiction. But the problem is there's so much of a demand for the Ibogaine. It's going to exceed the supply. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Next year. Wow.
1: Well, yeah, uh, let me start with ayahuasca first. The concern there is that the traditional knowledge holders or the communities won't be able to afford it because there's so much demand and it is legal to export it. So we're, we're working to ensure that centers are opening their doors for free care or cheap care for local communities. <clears throat> but in this, in this traditional plant conference on human rights and sacred plants in Toluca, Mexico that I just came from, we had a panel... Uh, with the Global Ibogaine Therapist Alliance and ISEERS, um, it's the International Center for Ethno Botanical Education, Research, and Service. Um, <clears throat> looking at some of the major sustainability challenges with with iboga, it's a, a it's in the citrus family. I, I think it's a, a small bush that grows in Gabon and Cameroon in West Africa, and it takes seven years to mature and you have to use the inner bark of the root. So you kill the plant. And it's a, a traditional bwiti or pygmy initiation ceremony. Traditionally, they would do a month long um, session with uh, like a coming of age session. So they weren't like using this to treat
0: addiction. They were just, it's just part of their culture.
1: Yeah, it was discovered in the 70s that, or in the 80s that it's it's really effective at treating the physical uh, withdrawal symptoms of of opio of opiates, and it's a Schedule One drug in the U.S., which says it has, which means it has a high potential for abuse and no ther therapeutic.
0: Which I always think that's interesting—a <laughs> high potential for abuse. I think people who take ibogaine, they they literally can't get up for sometimes days, and they're just right. violently it's, vomiting. <laughs> it's <laughs> you a know?
1: twenty-four to thirty-six hour experience. You can't move, but um, what we're doing is starting the iboga dialogues and looking at how we can alleviate some of the supply shortages by doing extractions of ibogaine pure ibogaine from other plants it grows in, it's present in a lot of other plants or growing um, iboga roots in vats in, in in laboratories and the idea would be to take kind of a fair trade price to take a portion of the price and um, give back to the traditional knowledge holders in Gabon and Cameroon, so that they can be assured of their supply. And they can plant more. They can pot- potentially export if they want to. Um, it's currently currently can't export from Gabon, but we're we're hoping that um, that will change because the the actual the prohibition on export has meant that there's a big black market for ibogaine um, from or Eboga. From Gabon so it's stripping the the natural supply.
0: So in your opinion do you think that because I know so many people worldwide are relying on ibogaine to overcome their addictions like you were mentioning it's fantastic when it comes to treating these horrific opioid pill addictions because Mm -hmm. while most people are scared to get off the pills because they're scared of the withdrawal symptoms Mm -hmm. And addicts I've spoken to who have used ibogaine to cure their addiction say that while you're on it, you don't really experience the withdrawal symptoms. You're more entering a really deep, introspective trip. And then, I mean, it's hell when you're on it, but it's not as bad as it would be if you were going through withdrawal. And then the trip itself is like therapy because you have the introspection. Mm -hmm. But in your opinion, do you think we could run out of ibogaine or is it going to be synthesized in the lab or?
1: Well, it, it... there's no official data, like UN data, on ibogaine, but what I've seen says that there will be supply shortages. So it's important that we, we, we build the right structures to enable the right supply and um, give access and benefits to the the traditional knowledge holders. And just because it treats the physical addictions doesn't mean it cures everyone. It's it's part of a social, you know, there's a, the better treatments will integrate what, what a person learns from Iboga into their daily lives. But it, it is important to overcome those physical addiction, the physical withdrawal symptoms. I wish there was something to deal with coffee withdrawal yeah. symptoms. I get terrible headaches when I stop drinking it. But, I, uh,
0: I know I can't get off my coffee either, which I have <laughs> as well. Well, and
1: when I, it's 2.30 in the morning. Mm. <laughs>
0: We have an excuse. I just don't don't know what my excuse will be tomorrow and the next day and the next day after that. But it was interesting because mushrooms, Mm-mm. you were mentioning earlier, you used mushrooms as well. Mm-hmm. I found them to be uh, miraculous and helping with anxiety. And um, mm, I was reading about sure. the, the safety of mushrooms. And... Uh, one study found that the caffeine in your coffee is more toxic on your body <laughs> than <laughs> mushrooms. So, if we were yeah. going to go by the science, then coffee would have to be illegal and mushrooms, you know, we could. But be drug policy them in our is kitchens. not based on science, yeah. unfortunately. Before yeah, it, it LSD is a real was made
1: illegal, it was one of the most potential, like highest potential psychoactive psychological drugs being studied, the most papers being written about it.
0: Yeah. I think it had a 45% cure rate in Canada when it came to alcoholism, which is amazing. Bill Wilson, who founded Alcoholics Anonymous, was uh, had horrific depression, and he actually used LSD to get over his depression, and he wanted to add it to one of the 12 steps in the AA program. But
1: the AA board said, no. Nope. <laughs> yeah, they're
0: like, I think Bill's losing his mind over there, and they kind of just kicked him out. And mm-hmm. But he was trying to tell them all that he really felt LSD was a critical first step in really accepting a higher power, spirituality, uh, mm-hmm. being able to kind of stand outside your body and analyze your life and really accept that you have this problem. Yeah. And, and he was a an huge advocate for LSD. And I think it's just a tragedy that so many people are in this 12-step AA program and aren't even told that, hey, yeah. the founder, by the way, <laughs> he was a tripper. <laughs>
1: right. And,
0: and he said you should be having LSD as part of this program. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Andrew Weil
1: has written about how LSD helped him overcome allergies. He was taking LSD, and a, he's allergic, he was allergic to cats, and his cat jumped in his lap, and he didn't have a reaction. And I've had similar, um, I wouldn't say cures of allergies, but I've come to understand the connection between my mind and my body, And, you know, it's sort of like anger. Like when you come to terms with anger, you can kind of let it go. Same with allergies. It's it's my personal experience.
0: And so you feel like you've been able to do some physical curing uh, of uh, physical ailments through Mm -hmm. your psychedelic use?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Allergies, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty amazing. It's... It's not that I don't have allergic reactions to things, or that, but that I, I can say this is not benefiting me in any way. Why? Probably the allergies had to do with some need for attention when I was a child or something like, Mommy, my, my nose is all plugged up. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's amazing uh, how much the mind and body are connected. And I used to be such a skeptic Uh, now that I've traveled the world researching these medicines, I've just seen the connection and it's just completely obvious for me now. And I've seen people who have had bodily aches, who've used psychedelics and purged themselves of this mental trauma. And they've been able to actually cure maybe their back pain or maybe they were obese and overeating and they could never figure out why they needed to keep filling this void. Mm -hmm. And then they realized, that uh early childhood abuse had caused that, but they'd suppressed that memory, but the psychedelics activated it. It's pretty pretty fascinating. I, I recommend profound. for people who are having bodily pain that's just really um inexplicable to potentially explore you never know. I mean psychedelics mm-hmm. may reveal to you why why you're you're carrying that trauma.
1: Yeah. Psychedelic means manifesting the mind. So if you wanna see your mind in a different light and understand the bodily connections, it's potentially a good path. It's not for everyone, but...
0: And so you protect the plant side of the psychedelics. I'm noticing more and more, especially on the internet, (coughs) that there's more and more synthetic, laboratory-manufactured psychedelics. There's um, for ACO, DMT, uh, pharma, WASCA, all of these different research chemical Mm -hmm. psychedelics. And in your opinion... Does does it lose some of the power when it's not actually the natural plant that you're eating? Is there some kind of plant intelligence involved that, that it doesn't occur in these chemical substances?
1: Well, with ayahuasca, it certainly feels like the plant has an intentionality. And I don't know if that's what we bring to it. But before I took ayahuasca, as I was meditating, I would sort of feel it come into my, my field of vision. I think the thing with research chemicals is they don't have a long history of use. They don't have a traditional history of use, so there is potential danger. We don't know what we're putting in our bodies, but if you look at Shulgin, he wrote the book on all the... He discovered a lot of these chemicals that are on the market now, and he's... I mean, he's in his 80s, I think, now, but mentally he's he's very sound. but I think the, the New Zealand model, the psychoactives bill in New Zealand, is a very good model for dealing with research chemicals. Rather than banning them, re, uh, New Zealand has taken a sort of FDA approach. Like if a company that's developing a research chemical and bringing it to market can prove that it's safe through human tests, then then they have a, a use right for five years, like a patent to sell it exclusively in New Zealand. Because so any
0: research chemical... But they may, so they could be selling DMT or, or other things. It can't be of
1: it. one that's currently scheduled. So it ah, could okay. be a new cannabinoid, or it could be some variation on. I, I'm not. I don't think you can do an analog of DMT. I think it would have to be a different type of chemical entirely.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So, w- what's your ultimate goal with the ethnobotanical stewardship council? What what's your plan? I mean, it seems like you guys ultimately want to see these plant medicines legalized worldwide.
1: Yeah. The first goal is to protect the plants and the people who work with them and ensure that they're empowered and that their voices are heard. And the traditional knowledge holders bring their expertise and their governance to we who have lost a lot of our connections with, with sacred plants or traditional plants. Um, We've started the Ayahuasca Dialogues. We're starting the Aboga Dialogues. We're exploring also peyote sustainability. It's a cactus that grows in Mexico in the U.S. Southwest. It's used by the Native American church.
0: <clears throat> and some people don't realize uh, peyote, I think it's six state. It's legal. So you can actually drive to six different states in the U.S. and legally take peyote, which is... Nice for me to actually be able to give people places where they can go and legally access these medicines that we report on. But um, although
1: the supply issues with peyote are quite severe, mm. it's only um, can be only cult. It can only be collected in a very narrow area by people who are approved by the DEA. It can't be replanted outside of that area legally yet. Um, it can't be exported from Mexico where the supply is much greater so I wouldn't recommend too much peyote use Um, I think people could use San Pedro cactus which is legal it's also a mescaline containing cactus Um, you can buy it over the internet if you want I don't know if I should say that. (laughs) We're not giving anyone advice. We're just
0: saying that it does exist. And you can find it at the local hardware store.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, we'd like to do a cannabis dialogue as well. There's a lot of room for improving the sustainability of cannabis, um, improving the, the knowledge of the different strains of cannabis and how they can be used to treat different things, testing them. I think something like 6% of California's electricity goes to growing cannabis indoors. And in Denver and Washington, it's going to be even higher. Wow. So how can we have more sustainably grown cannabis, maybe in greenhouses or maybe using renewable energy? What are the components of the uh, hydroponic systems that go into the cannabis? Is it organic or is it is it potentially harmful? Um, are the people being paid fair wages, so sort of fair trade organic cannabis that sort of a thing um, Ultimately, we would like to do that um, we 'd like to work with other plants as well, like uña de gato is a traditional plant cat 's claw that 's not psychoactive it 's used for rheumatoid arthritis and it's it 's being over harvested and there are a lot of there are a lot of other plants that could that are used traditionally that haven't been tested by scientists um, so we'd like to build momentum for more use of more plants and more benefits to the people who use them and work with them
0: how do you think that these psychedelic plants are going to finally become legalized i mean how do how do you think people can make this happen
1: i think it's when we overcome the baggage of the 60s when It was a very special moment in time when people were rebellious against the Vietnam War and a culture that was stultifying. And psychedelics don't necessarily make someone rebellious or want to overthrow the system or something. They augment what you already have. They help you get to know yourself. And so I think knowing that we want to transform society in a way that is better for people and don't be afraid. These plants can be helpful. Um, it's not a revolution, it's, a, it's an evolution.
0: I think you know, in the 60s, you had the whole drop out movement. I think with psychedelics now, people are temporarily dropping out to heal personally and mm-hmm. then taking that knowledge and coming back and trying to transform society. Yeah. yeah,
1: we have institutions that are in need of reform and people that are suffering for economic reasons or mental health reasons so yeah just changing the laws i think the esc's role is to provide this community self-governance form to reduce the safety risks uh, improve the sustainability we hope to get mainstream environmental organizations on board it's it's development work that we're doing it's environmental work it's preservation of the rainforests and traditional cultures, getting these medicines recognized by UNESCO the, as as world heritage, as intangible cultural heritage. Ayahuasca is already recognized in Peru as national heritage or patrimony. Um, there's a lot of work to do.
0: And so. if you look at the monetary side of things, marijuana is obviously surviving because of that. Do you think that psychedelics... Because they are so effective, you just wonder why hasn't the pharmaceutical industry taken more advantage of being able to own some of the research and and profit off these medicines? I mean, do you think there is hope for psychedelics to become profitable so that people do explore political pressure to make them legal?
1: Well, I think these are not profitable in the sense of pharmaceutical profitability, where you take a pill every day or twice a day for the rest of your life. That's a profitable drug Well, because these actually function like
0: medicines. They actually cure you so you don't need them again. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it's a
1: one-time or once every six months or once a year or every five years. Um, So I think a more social enterprise model will probably be effective. Um, MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, which is a partner of the ESC, and their director is uh, Rick Doblin. He's on the board of the ESC. Um, they're trying to get MDMA approved by the FDA as a therapeutic, drug. And their vision is to have centers where you can go and have a session with a therapist that's trained. And if maps gets this approved by the FDA, then they'll have, um, data exclusivity for five years, like a patent. So they, they can then use that, that money to generate revenue or they can generate revenue for researching other chemicals, other uses. Doctors can write off-use prescriptions for other ailments besides PTSD. Um, so I think the more momentum we can build to get a little bit of profit from these plants to do research, but not in a way that deprives the traditional knowledge holders of, of their share, um, then, then we can begin to really understand from a scientific point of view what these plants can do for people.
0: And what makes you hopeful in the future of of psychedelics uh, what makes you you know get up every morning with enthusiasm to come do podcasts at what what time is it now uh two forty two a m
1: <laughs> well <laughs> um sometimes I feel completely overwhelmed uh spread thin um because this this work is expensive it takes resources and time, but i think um I think that history is on our side. I think that truth is on our side. For the vast majority of human history, people have been experimenting with plants. And I think our our consciousness came from our interaction with plants and different substances in our environment. And so we are re-exploring and reinvigorating that. Um, There's also a sense that the plants themselves have a role to play in human history and to allow that space to, to, to be formed. is really important. So I, I feel like when I lose hope, it's, it's only temporary. It's, a, <laughs> there's a lot of momentum. I mean, we shouldn't underestimate the forces of repression and greed, um, and destruction and materialism, but, um, I think there's hope. Jane Goodall gives me hope. She just turned 80 and she travels 320 days a year, spreading a message of ecology and working with plants and animals. So if she can do it, I can certainly do it.
0: And how can our listeners, how can people find out more about what you're doing, Joshua?
1: you can go to our website which is ethnobotanicalcouncil.org we have videos of conferences that we've we've gone to we have different information about what we're doing more information about the ayahuasca dialogues we've we've done a webinar looking at the the timetable of the ayahuasca dialogues Um, people can donate Um, we're entirely uh, crowdfunded at this point with some some donations um, from From major donors, but most of it is small donations from like minded individuals.
0: Awesome. Um, Well, keep up the good work and safe travels. And hopefully, you know, next time you're in LA, even if it is late at night, uh, give us a ring. We'll have you back on the podcast. Thank you so much, Joshua.
1: (laughs) Thank you so much, Amber.